Right now is the most critical time for us to take back control of our food supply and become self-reliant by having our very own food forest. Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system of self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. You can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging. Learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. If you're ready to go off-grid, click the link in the description and use coupon code FORBIDDEN for discounts on your very own food forest with Food Forest Abundance. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guests are Darcy Weir and Stephen Bassett. We may be joined by Gary King. We, uh, we'll have to wait and see if he joins, he's able to. Uh, before I bring them on, I want to tell you about how you can protect yourself from harmful EMF radiation with EMF Harmonize. They offer protection from harmful electromagnetic frequencies for your phone, computer, or tablet, or your routers. I have one on my, all my devices. It's just a small disc that goes directly on there on any of your devices. I've already noticed a difference. I'm not feeling as groggy. I have more energy during the day, even spending hours in front of my devices or my computer. Uh, you can also get their awesome bracelets. They offer the same protection as the strips. The products were created by a mechanical engineer with three decades of experience in EMFs and telecommunication. Just use the link in the description to check out EMF Harmonized and protect yourself today. Also, to subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News on LBRY.TV, it's our official backup channel. We also have a brand new show called Beyond Classified. It's exclusively on Rockfin. Rockfin's an amazing new uncensored platform for free-thinking content creators and independent media. And finally, you can also get tickets to Forbidden Knowledge NewsCon 2021. It's going to be April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. We're going to have 12 amazing presenters. Just visit ForbiddenKnowledge.News to check out the, this year's lineup and get your tickets today. Tonight, I want to welcome to the, back to the show Darcy Weir. He is an independent documentary filmmaker from Canada, trained as a video editor, writer, director, and producer in university and technical college. He has chosen to work on some of the most fascinating subjects that are discussed today. Recently, he completed a new documentary based on the theory that relic hominids like Sasquatch live deep in wilderness around the world. He published a remastered version of an earlier film about Phil Snyder, Underground Bases and Secret Space, and he is currently working on a documentary about UFO, Volcano Mysteries and Crop Circles, which will be out in March. And also Stephen Bassett. He is the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, founded in 1996, to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomenon. He has spoken to audiences around the world about implications of disclosure, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has appeared on many documentary films, and his lectures and interviews are well represented on YouTube. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you both doing tonight? Great. Thanks for having us, Chris. I'm good. Very good. All good, Chris. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We've got a lot to talk about in a small amount of time, um, including the films The Underground Beyond the, uh, and Beyond the Spectrum being taken, and uh, a little bit about Volcanic UFO Mysteries, uh, all of which cover some of my favorite mysteries and cases. I'd first like to hear about what got each of you involved with these projects. Uh, let's start with you, Darcy. Sure. So, um Back in 2018, I attended a conference that Stephen Bassett was speaking at. Um, it was uh, something that we got to meet Stanton Friedman at, who, um, you know, has passed since then. He's a real hero in, in terms of disclosure and pushing for the truth on the UFO and ET visitation subject. Um, we sat down with Kathleen Marden. Um, and Travis Walton, uh, and Stephen Bassett. And, uh, we, we got really well-rounded interviews, um, covering all of these incredible subjects. So, uh, the first one that you mentioned being taken, which was part of the, uh, beyond the spectrum series, um, really, we consider it to be the definitive documentary, film on the subject of abductions. Um, this is free on 2B TV. People can just go to 2BTV.com and search being taken. And um, really, you know, what we, we set out to do was talk about the history of abductions um, and how prevalent they were in the sort of uh, overarching tale of extraterrestrial visitation or UFO sightings. And, um, you know, really they go back like over a hundred years, but the most incredible cases that are really well documented that the United States air force got involved in for some, uh, and, um, sort of top investigators, uh, went about, deciphering whether these were debunkable, uh, including Stanton Friedman. Um, those would include the Betty and Barney Hill case, which we included in the documentary that happened in the 1960s. Um, then we talk about Travis Walton's fire in the sky sort of incident. Um, and we just talk about how the media portrayed them and kind of threw everybody under the bus that had reported this type of phenomenon to happen to them. Um, you know, people growing up in the 90s probably recalled that tongue-in-cheek joke, people saying, oh, oh, you know, have you been probed? Have you been, you know... Uh, anal probed and stuff like that, just to um, shame anybody who had spoken of these sort of outlandish things happening to them. But uh, in recent years, there's been people that had equated this phenomenon to a uh, psychological disorder. Um, and we cover that. We also cover the fact that people um, believed that they were, uh, simply just sleep paralysis 
dreams. And um, really, you know, if you if you really want to blow up that theory, just look at Stanton Free. Uh, just look at uh, Travis Walton's abduction. That happened not while he was sleeping. That happened with four people watching it at the same time. Um, and there's been many cases that have happened like that throughout history. If somebody wanted to look up another really credible one where uh, thousands, hundreds of people saw the UFOs and then uh, a number of children were taken, um, they can just look up the the latest Netflix um, uh, what's it called Un- unsolved mysteries, unsolved mysteries, season one, uh, episode four, I believe. And that was over two States that, that this all happened in one night. So, I mean, this is something that's still going on, but it's just not talked about as much. And, um, we wanted to make that documentary to represent a, a more accurate version of, of the abduction phenomenon. Uh, Stephen Bassett was kind enough to talk about his uh, knowledge in that realm uh, for that documentary. But since then, uh, he's back in another documentary, Volcanic UFO Mysteries. We talked about his we kind of we can we talk about the UFO phenomenon in that film, but uh, particularly surrounding active volcanic sites across Latin America with Jaime Malson and you know multiple decades of UFO sightings that just are completely incredible, uh, daylight sightings, nighttime sightings, you name it. But then we go to Stephen Bassett to talk about the history of his work over 25 years in um, ending the truth embargo, you know, pushing for disclosure from the government. And um, that is a really nice part of the story to touch on because it's incredibly relevant today. And I thought covering these UFOs coming out of uh, volcanic um, you know, active volcanic regions was also very interesting. And, and it's an underrepresented story, especially um, when you cover Latin American UFO stories. I feel like this is underrepresented in the United States and other Western um, English speaking countries. Now, you, you had mentioned how Stephen has been trying to bring disclosure to the government for a long time. And I'd like to hear from you, Stephen. Um, wh- what, first, what got you involved with working with Darcy in these projects? And also your thoughts on the recent developments of what's been talked about in the mainstream media, what our own government has been releasing uh, along the lines of these uh, UFO files, and just the, the interest, the sudden interest in UFOs, and why do you think it's, it's all happening now and this interest is all of a sudden being peaked right now? <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty big, deep question, big question. <clears throat> uh, with respect to the documentaries, I've been in many, many documentaries, and I have an IMDB page I'm very proud of. So does Darcy, by the way. So you can actually very easily review or see all of his stuff uh, on his IMDb page. 
but I'm in many documentaries because uh, usually whatever the topic is, not all, always, but whatever the topic is, there's exopolitical implications. So for instance, the underground basis doc, that was easy because the underground facilities is a key component of the uh, military intelligence complex. Uh, the deep classified stuff, or particularly uh, hardware, engineering, things like that, uh, have gone underground. It makes their life a lot easier, and they have the ability to create underground space, which is just mind-boggling. And, and for that reason, you don't hear much about it, because they, did, they would prefer it not be talked about. So when Elon Musk is out there talking about how he can grind out massive tunnels up and down California with these huge machines, they're not, they're not happy about that. But there's nothing they can do, because Elon will say whatever the hell he wants to say. Um, and the volcanic uh, dock is maybe most people wouldn't get the connection, but <clears throat> there are two connections. One, first and foremost, uh, volcanoes, particularly dangerous volcanoes like uh, Tepeca, never can get it right. Poca, Popo, Popo Capital. I think, okay, well, that's okay, Popo Capital. Uh, <laughs> these volcanoes are monitored very, very intensely with all kinds of sensors because their, their activities literally could kill huge numbers of people, particularly that one, uh, which is where a lot of the sightings have been. And so not surprisingly, they, with high-definition high, high cameras down there, they are seeing things moving in and out of these volcanoes or moving through gas clouds, what have you, which are interesting. So in one sense, it's nothing more than a UAP sighting. But on the other hand, it's a quality one because of the quality of the surveillance cameras. That's point one. Point two, though, is that one of the most significant exopolitical aspects of the ET phenomena is the uh, now well-documented uh, fact that these craft will hover over our nuclear facilities and turn our missiles off. I mean, this has happened a number of times, and we have military witnesses uh, who served with the nuclear SAC facilities and so forth, highest clearances, top-of-the-line people and all that. Not that that matters. I mean. <laughs> It doesn't matter who you are. If the truth embargo doesn't want you to have any impact, it, it will find a way to ensure that happens. But that, that is, that's an enormously significant thing. Why are they turning our missiles off? What can, we, what can we learn from that? And there are a number of things we can learn from that, but let me just move on to volcanoes. Uh, it's interesting that they would be possibly engaging these, these uh, volcanoes, uh, particularly the dangerous ones. What they're doing there, if in fact that's ET craft, we don't know. It could be drones too, by the way. It could, when you talk about ET craft, I think most people need to know that you're referring to either craft piloted by extraterrestrials in their own technology or drones manufactured by extraterrestrials. Either one basically is, is as good as the other. Um, so why are they doing that? It's possible that they're monitoring uh, places like that out of concern for us, which would be very significant in terms of trying to understand their agenda and what uh, the future might bring. Or let's go further, uh, that they may be doing something to mitigate the uh, activity so that it's, uh, any, it's something disastrous is either delayed or prevented, which would also be extremely interesting. Uh, that's more proactive. There's a third possibility that is not unreasonable, and that is that we're certain that they have bases around the world. We don't think they're just operating from space or from bases strictly outside of the planet. There's too much evidence pointing to the fact that they 
they have the ability to go to ground here. Um, not surprisingly, they're not just they're not setting up bases just outside of Phoenix or something. They they go underground. Apparently, they can do that quite easily. Uh, classic. Uh, uh, I say the classic, probably the optimal for them is underground facility under the seabed. So they're 2,000 feet below the seabed, which is maybe 5,000 feet deep. We're not going there. We're not going to be dropping in on them. Nobody's delivering a pizza there. The uh, other possibility would be a mountain, under a mountain, not in one, but under it. So there's a possibility that perhaps they have a base under a volcano, which would be particularly, uh, how would you say, uh, inaccessible. So uh, that's, a, that's the reason why I'm in that, that dock, and I, I hope to turn up in a lot more docks. Yeah, My job, get the message out. Definitely. And uh, so let's get to your thoughts on what's going on with this modern mm. disclosure, if you want to call it that. You know, I, I sure don't trust anything that really comes from our government or the media, but, you know, it is interesting that it's coming out right now. Actually, that is not true. You, you, you trust a lot of things that come from the media and a lot of things that come from the government, but you... You don't trust everything, and your sense of, of distrust is, is maybe greater than it's been in the past. I assure you, if a person gets to the point where they do not trust anything in the media or the government, they're in a very bad place, and their life is not <laughs> going to go well. But I get it. We tend to, we tend to it's binary. We, we live in a binary world. I get it. Uh, the, the, I can't, I'm going to give you a short answer, because the long answer is hours long. Uh, we are in a totally different place than we've ever been since Roswell. Uh, the degree of interest in the subject is peaked again, probably in terms of total numbers and number of countries involved is the greatest has ever been. Um, their, uh, the media coverage has significantly changed. It is virtually absent of ridicule. You, you have to really look hard. I'm talking about mainstream media, not fringe stuff or somebody's podcast. But rather, uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with podcasts, uh, but, but blog or something. No, I'm talking mainstream media. Totally, totally a change. You, you can't find any ridicule. The bunkers are pretty much not, not getting any, any print, print time. Uh, and the, serious, the seriousness of the issue is now dawned on pretty much everybody to one degree or another. Uh, there have been significant developments uh, uh, since, the, uh, since in the last three years due to the To The Stars Academy and their dramatic entrance and the stories that they delivered the New York Times and the gun camera footage that was declassified and released by the Pentagon, first gun camera footage ever uh, formally declassified and released by any nation in the world. And that was huge because gun camera footage is powerful evidence. Since then, there's been reactions to all of this and you're seeing maneuvering of agencies and people who are essentially seeing what's coming and they want to get in the right place. They want to be in the right, right spot. Okay, it's like trying to get a good line at the parade. Right? The parade is coming and you want to get a nice, nice up front there by the rope or even get in the parade. All right? That would be even better. So when, you're, you're, when it passes, uh, there you are. We're seeing a lot of that. Uh, and all of this is because the agenda of the To The Stars Academy, or at least of certain key people in the, the initial group, uh, I think I figured out pretty early, and I'm, I, I have a theory, I'm sticking with it until they correct me, and they never have, was to end the truth embargo um, and to do it essentially as proxy representatives of a significant element within the Department of Defense itself and maybe some other agencies. In other words, as of October of 2017, it wasn't me leading the, uh, uh, the, the, the disclosure activist movement. Uh, or any of my colleagues. It was the 
military intelligence complex. And that's a paradigm change. <laughs> that's the shift that we've seen. Not everybody got that. Not everybody understands that because they're not paying as close attention. But I am, and I get it. And so we're headed for, we, we've been, the game was to get hearings. That is the fundamental initial target. Uh, line up witnesses, prepare the Congress for hearings, hold the hearings, which would lead to disclosure by the president. But the plan, I'm pretty sure, was that these hearings would have taken place in 2017 under President Clinton. In fact, the plan was built around that. Uh, and uh, that didn't happen, which completely dramatically affected their, their, their actions, their course, and mine as well, and throw everything up in the air where it's kind of hung, suspended for four years. Now I say not totally suspended, but I mean, it, 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 it slowed everything down. So we, we were racing towards disclosure, in my view, all through 2016. And then as of the, because of the election, everybody had to slow down and just start to take it easy and just kind of walk slow and see what's going on. Eventually, they, they, they figured out what was gonna happen. I think before the, the media probably even were willing to state it, they knew that there was going to be a new administration. What would happen in the Senate, they may not have known. But that was enough for them to get cranking up again. And, and so they started making the moves that you would make in order to prepare for hearings. I believe that hearings are certainly doable. I think the preparation is there. The witnesses are available. And I am going to be pushing and why I've, I've, I've booked 58 interviews this year so far. And, and that's, that's more than one a day. I, I mean, booked, or I haven't, I've only done 38 or something. But, uh, uh, to get this message out that there's, there's really no barrier. I mean, there's no, everything is there to hold hearings on the ET issue in, April, in, in, in this spring, April, late May, late March, April. Everything is ready. The only thing that's preventing it is, is COVID uh, cir circumstances, uh, degree of, uh, of, uh, of uh, infections and death and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the vaccine schedule but that's gonna improve with each passing week. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the other thing that, that, that's a factor is um, uh, the political instabilities, which we all thought would wrap up around mid-December, uh, which is when the, the Congress, not the Congress, the states, certify all the state elections, electoral outcomes. So, at that point, it's basically over. Not this time. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And so the election was still being contested right up until the point that the Capitol was overrun by a large group of people, which never happened in my lifetime and, and in fact never happened in anybody's lifetime. So that was new. And that has just shoved a lot of the uncertainty into and, and dominated the press along with the vaccine, along with the COVID issue. So, but that is going to settle down soon. And then the question is, are they going to get these hearings done or are they going to find some excuse to delay them? I'm going to be making a very strong case publicly that they must get these hearings done as soon as possible. And even before the supposed reports, well, the anticipated reports that were requested by Marco Rubio in the Senate Intelligence Bill, Intelligence Appropriation Bill, which is fine. And I'm glad he did it. Uh, I'm sure Mark Warner, Mark Warner signed off on it. He was the ranking member. Now he's the chairman of that committee. 
but we don't know what they're going to deliver. And they have a record of, of, of finding ways to pretty much hand you nothing but a menu, you know, a menu for Denny's or something, right? Uh, and, and so we don't know. And so rather than wait for that possibility, which would undermine the whole hearing process, I, we need hearings in spring so that all of the agencies considering their response to Rubio's request in the defense bill, some people call it the COVID-19 bill. I, that's, that was an omnibus bill that included COVID-19. This, this request was made in the Defense Intelligence Appropriations Bill, which was omnibus with the COVID bill. That's, a, that's not a distinction. That, that's not a difference without a distinction. Um, that they will look at these hearings and go, my God, this thing is happening. It's, it's, it may, this may be it. And so we had better give them a lot of fine material, get on the train, the disclosure train, which will only add on to the whole process so that we can in fact get, finally, 74 years after Roswell, the confirmation from our president that we have extraterrestrials engaging us. That's all I'm, I'm seeking. Anything after that is gravy. That's the post-disclosure world. All the president has to do, after, preferably as part of a, a weeks of hearings, to, uh, showing hundreds of millions of people, mass evidence, huge amount of evidence from military witnesses exclusively, that we have extraterrestrials here. That's it. And then we shall all move forward in the post-disclosure world. What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man. C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, we definitely live in fascinating times, and I'm, you know, I'm very excited to see what what comes of all this. Um, now, Darcy, earlier when you were talking about uh, the upcoming films and some of the ones that um, that are already out there, uh, you mentioned that you talked with Stanton Friedman. I'd like to know um, in your conversations what was some of the most, I guess, profound information that you learned from him uh, in your discussions. Sure. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things about Stan Friedman is the ability that he had to really represent the UFO and extraterrestrial um, contact issue in a mainstream forum. And, uh, you know, Stephen Bassett's been doing a really good job at that as well. But Stan Friedman, he was like doing this since the 70s. And he went up against the biggest and baddest skeptics you could think of. We're talking Philip J. Class, um, Michael Shermer, who's still around, 
Seth Shostak, who's the head of search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI for NASA. Um, you know, even uh, child um, scientists like uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, he would go on national television and he would pretty much, in my opinion, defeat most of them in a debate on the, these issues. And if you think about how hard that that would be, especially from the earlier years of this whole phenomenon and pretty much anybody mentioning UFOs or um, extraterrestrial existence, they got labeled as, uh, you know, crackpots or loonies and they were ignored. But Stanton Friedman really had this ability to critically think logically and not just throw out every single um, incredible claim that was made uh, in regards to this phenomenon. He did have his own skepticism and his own uh, critical you know, uh, deconstruction of, of some folks that came forward in this field. Um, but you know, what I learned from interviewing him were the tactics of the debunker. So, uh, I can tell you those right now. It's, uh, don't bother me with the facts. My mind is made up. Um, if you can't attack the data because you don't know it, because you didn't study it, attack the person. And, um, and don't bother learning the information. Always know your opponent's uh, weaknesses before you go into the fight. And so that's pretty much the, the common thread. Whenever he had a debate with these guys, um, they would be uneducated about the subjects that they were debated, debating about. And therefore, Stanton would always come out on top because he actually would check both sides of the argument really well um, and make sure that everything was well represented. And these skeptics, these debunkers, in other words, um, they just wouldn't do any of their homework and, and they would resort to, you know, really cheap combat tactics to win the arguments on national television or radio, wherever he was debating them. So that's, that's really the biggest thing I learned from Stanton. Um, and it, it made me more confident to know that you can stand on really stable ground when you discuss these subjects um, don't expect to win an argument with your uncle or your, uh, sister's fiance in, in this subject, if they've never studied it, because they have no interest. The only people that you're going to sort of win an argument with are people that do a little bit of homework that you can convince, okay, go read this, go do that. Um, 
And, and if you do a little bit of research, then we'll talk about this intelligently after. If they're not interested, then just, you know, shake their hand, tell them goodbye. Uh, there's no point in discussing it. Very well said. Um, Steve, anything to add about uh, Stanton? Anything, um, you know, most profound things that you might have learned in your time speaking with him? Stanton, I always referred to Stanton as the rock of the, uh, well, used to, I, I don't call it ufology anymore, but for most of his career, it was called ufology. The study of the phenomenology. Uh, he was the rock of ufology. It's now, it, it should be called ET or extraterrestrial research is what it is, not, not, not ufology. Um, because he, he is never very solid, didn't get ahead of himself, uh, and always argued on sound basics uh, for the uh, reality of the ET presence. He was essentially a researcher, uh, and he wrote some books and uh, gave the, one of the most important things is he gave the field some gravitas. He was not a PhD, but he was a nuclear physicist with an actual career, and he was one of the very few early high-level uh, 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 science or engineering uh, careers who uh, was willing to go out and, and, and defend this issue. Uh, another example is Dr. James McDonald, an atmospheric scientist that really went after this issue even before Stanton. Uh, though it ended up tragically for him. It's, it's, it's a tough road to go. Anyway, the point is that Stanton was always that. Uh, and I had a few interesting exchanges with him, but I'm not a, a researcher. I'm an activist. And so where Stanton was always presenting the basic case for the ET reality and fending off when he was confronted in, in interviews, the, the usual debunkers, I don't defend the ET presence. I don't waste any time doing that. Uh, I start from the fact that the ET presence is established fact and go from there. So it, here's, here, this is what's going on. This is a fact. This is what we got to do. This is what needs to happen. This is what this policy, uh, politician should be looking at. This is what the media should be covering. And that's the, that's the benefit of being an activist, I'm not a researcher. And so, but for me to be able to say to you or anybody else, and I've done it many times, that the presence of extraterrestrials is a fact. It's not theory anymore. It hasn't been theory for some time. The only reason it's not an accepted fact is because the U.S. government, including our presidents, has essentially taken the position, either explicitly or implicitly, that no, it's not a fact. Not a fact. In fact, I've had one president uh, respond to me that there was no evidence at all. Uh, and I knew, I knew he didn't mean it. I knew it was not true. But nevertheless, that's what they say. So, but that's not my problem. But so if it weren't for the researchers and the documentarists like Darcy and so forth, who have put out massive material for all these decades, I couldn't, I couldn't start there. I would, have to, I would have doubts. I have no doubts, I assure you. And that makes it much easier to be an activist. They have done the fundamental job of proving the case. And now it's a question of uh, getting the government to do what they're supposed to do based upon that fact. And that's how... And I, fought, and I came in in 96, and Stanton had already been uh, at it for, I think, almost 25 years at that point. Uh, and, of course, there have been researchers that have continued ever since. So uh, that's my relationship to uh, 
I think the research is more fun, though, why there's a lot of researchers out there, not too many activists. Uh, it's not as much fun. Uh, I mean, I feel it's okay, but still, I, it's, it's, it, it can be really irritating and frustrating to be an activist in this field. With research, there's always something new to check into, something to, to study, come up with something, write a report, maybe even write a book. With the activism, you've got one fundamental goal is to get disclosure and the government is saying no. And they can do that to you for months, years, and even decades. And what do you do? I mean, you, you could just give up, but you can't give up. So anyway, I'm a researcher. He's an activist. He's a legend. And I wish, I wish he had, he died in the, he died in an airport of a heart attack. He knew he had a bad heart on the way back from a presentation that he was making, I don't know, a couple years after he'd supposedly retired. He was doing this up to the very last minute of his life. And that is not uncommon when someone is involved in something this important. Uh, they, 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 you don't retire from it. I certainly won't. Uh, and so he is a legend. Yes, definitely. Definitely a legend. Um, now I want to talk about um, underground bases for a minute. And when you talk about underground bases, one of the, the biggest names you hear is Phil Snyder and his story. And when I tell people who have never heard about his story, you know, there's of course, shock and disbelief that comes along with it because it's such a, a fantastic story. Um, but I believe he believed it 100%. Um, Darcy, I'd like to get your thoughts on Phil Snyder and his story. And, um, you know, how much of it do you believe is actually real and true? Sure. So in terms of what I think is real and true, I think... Phil Schneider came into the UFO conference lecture tour at a time when, you know, the interest across the United States was absolutely ballooning, you know? Um, and I think the truth is he inspired people. He inspired people to question, um, their civil liberties um, and to question what the government was spending their tax dollars on in terms of military uh, black project, you know, government uh, spend. And I think what also was real and true about him was the fact that his family had a background in the military industrial complex. So his father, Oscar Otto Schneider, um, came over from the German uh, Nazi World War II sort of regime uh, under Project Paperclip post-World War II to work for the American uh, Navy. And while he was working for the Navy, he did a whole bunch of interesting uh, work, including working at the uh, Bikini Atoll first bomb test sites. Um, he was also on the USS Nautilus, which was the very first nuclear submarine. And Phil took a lot of documents around with him on his lecture tour which were allegedly from his father. Uh, apparently he got other documents from another colonel in the military, a retired colonel 
that had worked at the Dulce New Mexico base. Um, that is speculative, but um, I think he, another thing that's real and true about him is his death is highly questionable. I don't think he killed himself. Some people do. Um, he was found strangled to death in his own apartment with his own catheter cord. We cover the autopsy of his death in uh, our documentary, The Underground, and uh, the police report and his family's testimony that you know he had a lot to live for and he wanted to live, uh, but we don't know why and how he ultimately died it just it there's lots of questions there and the thing that i would say is not true i don't think he got into a firefight with aliens underground it is possible that he worked on a underground base building project because he did seem to have two social security numbers and his disability benefits that he was claiming seemed to be going under the same social security number that he worked for Morrison Knudsen, which is a military contractor, uh, one of which that's known for building uh, underground bases or just doing third-party military industrial complex work. And uh, so his wife, Cynthia, had provided that sort of information. But there has been a photo that surfaced since his death that shows he had missing fingers when he was younger. Uh, younger than this supposed firefight that he said he lost them in in the process of building an underground base where they they tunneled into a cavern that these beings lived in. And I think uh, partially why he may have made that up is to make a more fantastical story that people glom on to. And, you know, really the time that he started doing these lectures in the early 90s was you know, post 1980s, there's still lots of fanfare for action and these uh, heroic stories. And that's what he was giving to people at these conferences that they had never heard before. You know, this is pre David Wilcock, pre uh, Corey Good, pre, uh, you know, mumbo jumbo crazy stories that will get everybody psyched up. But it seems that, that that muddied the water and the incredible story about underground bases is still there. It's still incredibly important. It proves to us that the United States military is capable and have been capable of building these bases with the purpose of keeping things from the public and uh, doing certain things out of sight, out of sound, to have command and control over secret projects. So I think that's also a big story. Um, and don't let the alien battle sort of eclipse everything. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, Steve, anything you'd like to add about the the Phil Schneider story? It's an example of some of the more exotic reports that were coming out um, a ways back, with, even before the end of the Cold War, I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. William Cooper is another example. Uh, things were not so clear back then, and uh, uh, the internet had not developed. Now, if you come out with a, a very exotic story, there are quite a few people around the world prepared to jump on the internet, Google, and anywhere else, and vet the hell out of it. Back then, it was a lot harder. So uh, there was a lot of interesting exotic stories that got into play. Usually, you couldn't prove them one way or the other. Uh, oftentimes, they involved people that had military, maybe a little bit of military background. Um, I know of a couple. Two of the best known are Cooper and, and uh, Schneider. Um, so it's, it's something that I really, you can, it can't be established one way or the other. He, he, you can examine his life from any direction. You still can't, you can't get to a final conclusion. Same with Cooper. Uh, but it's good, that, it's good that we pay attention. Um, even to the early people. And I'll go all the way back to the 50s and the Space Brothers. This issue has evolved profoundly since 1947. Uh, there's been so many turns and twists and, and developments, and the, and, the, and, the, and the responses and what was going on varies from decade to decade. So the Space Brothers were early on, we didn't know much at all, and, and they were coming forward, and nobody is, knows to this day exactly what the hell they knew or didn't know. Were they contactees and so forth? And that, but that needs to be studied, and it will be. And then as we move to another era, you get a period of heavy conspiracy-like uh, approaches to this phenomenon. I, I don't believe it's a conspiracy, and I say, that, say so publicly, but there was a time when it was viewed very darkly, much more darkly than it is now. So it's all part of the history. Uh, thousands of books will be written about the entire history of the modern era of, of the UFO issue, which includes, or the ET issue, which includes the government's action, as well as the entire citizen science research effort there are, there's tons of material, the books, the lectures, uh, documentaries, podcasts. There's a huge story here that has not been embraced, as you might expect, because, again, of the truth embargo, which is denying the story about what? There's, there's no there there. But that will change, and hopefully there will be plenty of material to be written about. Uh, and we'll see how, how the Snyder story ultimately works out. The only thing I would add, and this is just for the hell of it, I, it's a lot easier to strangle yourself than people think. Uh, it's not that hard. You, you know, you can just put a tie around your neck, tie it to a doorknob. It'll do the trick. All you have to do is cut off the, the uh, flow of blood in that one artery and pass out. And as long as the restriction stays, you simply pass away. And so any kind of elastic thing that can be stretched and tied or tied off can do it. You simply stretch it until it cuts off the blood flow, you pass out. If it holds the stretch, you die. But whatever. You know, Gary Webb, the, 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 the great journalist who uncovered the CIA and drug issue, killed himself, but he had to shoot himself twice in the head. Believe it or not, that happens. 
there are a lot of stories like that. Uh, that's pretty interesting. That's true. Yeah, I, yeah. I can tell you more, but uh, there, there is an area of, of, of interaction with issues like this and, and certain types of people that go there that end up with these kind of exotic outcomes. I, I have assiduously avoided that. Uh, I can assure you. I, can I don't imagine why. That, that, and, that, and, that, and that part of the bus. Right. Now, Steve. Uh, you could teach a master class in that, man. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> uh, I'm just throwing, again, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to say I know what, I don't know what happened. But, but this comes up a lot. I mean, it's, it is really not, it's, it, is, it, is, it does have some importance. Why does it have importance? Um, and I'm, I'm, this is not a criticism, Darcy, believe me, not at all. But this has happened. For instance, John Mack. John Mack was killed in an accident in uh, the UK. I actually visited where, where he died. Uh, I, was I was staying just a short distance away from it. I've been to the UK and London many times. But the rumor started that he was killed. He was assassinated by the government and so forth. Why does it matter? It matters because the family of John Mack was not happy about that at all they knew that he was not killed by the government and the fact that that was out there was very distressful to them and there have been a number of other examples of that probably you can think of a few yourselves yeah and so consequently there have been a number of occasions where uh i've addressed this in the et area uh, in fact i have an in memoriam page on my website paradigmresearchgroup.org it's under uh, it's under uh, projects and i'm 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 putting up a memorandum to, uh, with some information to the people in the field that have passed. I'm about, about 89 up there now. I'm sure there are more that I can add, and I may. Uh, but now, currently, though, I'm pretty good. I mean, if somebody in this field passes, they go up there sometimes in 24 hours. Uh, and, 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 and so in, the, in, in doing that, I'm aware of some of the more controversial deaths. And again, <laughs> uh, the Internet is, is, can be very unkind. Yeah, sometimes uh, it's conspiracy gets taken too far, you know, when it comes to things like that. Well, it's just, again, it's easy. The Internet is an ocean of theories, right? Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but when the theories get into people's lives and so forth, then it can be, it can be a problem. But it is, it is the age we live in, and, and, and we have to adapt and adjust. And I'm, I'm pretty tolerant. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be tolerant of the net. You can't, it's, it's never going to be like it was before the internet and all of social media came. We have to completely readjust how we assess things and issues and facts and, and developments and, and even death. Uh, and hopefully I think we'll work it out. I think the net, we will, as a human race, we will figure out how to take this massive in technology, unbelievable technology, and use it for the maximum good, maximum positive, and minimize its, uh, its dark side. Imagine, you know, how, how evil and incredible it would be that an agency, an intelligence agency, could just run you over with the car and say, eh, it was an accident. I mean, like, look at Carl Wolf, too. We were just talking about him the other day, and um, he's featured in a documentary I've got coming out uh you know, in the future about secret space and his experience um, being, you know, uh, exposed to the truth about some kind of possible ET base that was found on the moon. 
on the dark side of the moon and he got hit by a car and he was part of the citizen uh was it the 2001 disclosure uh, he, he was he emerged in 2001 uh as one of Greer's witnesses and his testimony was pretty pretty spectacular uh he had credentials he, he just wasn't uh um just an off-the-wall witness I and mean, he, he had he had credentials so he's, he's a solid witness and he was out there and talking about this for many years he was just killed uh, a couple years ago riding on his bicycle uh now again as with uh, many of the deaths including some of the astronauts uh it, it, because of the truth embargo and the fact that it's undermined confidence in government in fact everything the government has done since 19 let's go back to 64 that is simply wrong, abusive, violating the law of the Constitution has undermined trust in government. And, 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 and that's, that's not trivial. Trusting government is a fraction of what it used to be. And as a result, once you get there, it's hard to accept anything. And that makes life hard for everybody. And so uh, we have, and I, that's what I was talking about, this kind of thing comes up all the time. And, and I try to be a centrist, and I try to be as clear as possible when I when I when I can you know comment, uh, one of the people that worked in my campaign in 2002 for Congress, uh, just a great guy, just a basic guy, not a lot of expectations in this world, didn't own a car, got around on his bike, and uh, and he had you know he had he had a sort of a sympathetic backstory, and I got to know all my campaign volunteers pretty well. He went home after the after the uh, campaign was over and. Month or two later, he was just riding down the road and was hit from the back. I was a triathlete. I I did a lot of training on the road. Let me tell you, driving a bike on the road is a lot more dangerous than most people would like to think. In fact, if you really thought about it enough, you wouldn't do it. And so, I don't think that Wolf was was killed. Uh, I think that he. I mean, I that he was he was a target or something like that. Uh, uh, sometimes there's just no information, and you just don't know. And so you really can't know one way or the other, but it's so much easier to go with the, with the more exotic explanation. With Mac, there, the, the, the fellow that was driving the truck stopped. The police came. He was interviewed. He did have some a a alcohol on his breath. And they, they assessed the accident fairly well. I went and visited the spot. I almost got killed in the Cayman Islands when I went down there for a gig once. I never driven on the other side of the road in my whole life, but I got a car, again, steering wheel on the right, and uh, I'm being really careful. And I went to a club there on the beach, had a drink with a, with an individual, and when I left, I pulled out of the parking lot onto the one highway, and I didn't look. I looked uh, left and not right. And as I pulled out, a fairly sizable truck went by at 45 to 50 miles an hour, probably missed my bumper by six inches. If I had left one half second sooner, that truck would have hit me dead on on, the, on my side, and I would have been dead instantly. That's how close I came to dying. I tell you, I never made that mistake again. But when I went to London, I was constantly aware. And they have signs on the streets in London to remind us Yanks, look right. <laughs> Right, look right, not left. He literally, you can see them in the sidewalk. John, it was late. He was tired. He looked left. We know a lot. He was not killed, but he. There was a lot of that out there on the web, and the family was, which is really 
you haven't seen John Mack's family out talking about this issue, engaging this issue. Everything they may have done has all been deep in the background. Uh, and one of the reasons is that this is painful for them. And so again, it's just part of our new reality. Uh, yeah. And I try, to, I try to address this when I can. If, if somebody gets assassinated and we really have, and, and I don't think it's happening, it may never have happened, though there's a couple of cases that are particularly problematic, and I've got pretty good evidence for it, or I know people that have that evidence, be assured I will go public with that. Very good. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, some of those things have to happen that way. Um, to close out, I know you guys only have a few minutes left. I'd like to get your thoughts on the implications of the UFOs near volcanoes and, and, and surrounding uh, active volcanoes. Uh, starting with you, Darcy, just to kind of close out, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? Sure. Um, so there's a long history of volcanic UFO sightings. And uh, in this documentary, volcanic ufo mysteries we cover some of the more recent ones so we cover uh the the fiery kalima event that happened in 1988 uh a news reporter or cameraman uh that was hired to go out and capture this volcano erupting uh pyroclastic flows you know thousands of degrees of ash and gases flying out at the same time whole audiences of people local to Kalima had come out to see and this cameraman set up his equipment and was with his crew and they were recording this event and you could see in the video a ufo in broad daylight slowly cruising through this ash cloud and then going to the other side of the volcano slowly and, and cruising off into the sky. And I think what we have to remember, uh, you know, if you look at this video, it has that same sort of aura and shape as the Tic Tac UFO we saw from uh, recent years. And um, when you look at this video, you, you think, okay, what is this object doing? that would make us think this is from another world. First of all, no civilian or military craft that we know of would be able to withstand this environment. You know, if you look at the volcano that erupted in the early 2000s uh, from Iceland, it downed all of Europe or half of Europe because of just ash that was floating in the atmosphere across the European continent. So if we're going to equate that to this incident, there's no way that that was anything we owned. And it just makes you wonder, like, why would they be interested in a volcano in the first place? Um, we cover many other incidents after that chronologically, right up until 2020 in the documentary. But um, I think that's just the running theme as we cover these UFO videos uh, surrounding these volcanic regions. There are no fly spaces, so you're not supposed to fly through them. They are extremely dangerous, dangerous air spaces. And um, by all accounts, what is being resembled on the video seems to be UFOs, something that would be not of this world too.
And uh, well, to close out, what are your thoughts on that, Steve? I mean, I know you gave a little bit uh, in your uh, earlier introduction of uh, your, your thoughts on it, but anything further to close out on? Look, 11,000 years ago, give or take, a major catastrophe took place on this planet. There's no doubt that it happened. It's in lore all over the world. We've been trying to explain it ever since, and there's some very good theories out there that, that I think one of which is probably true. The two most common are a major uh, asteroid or a meteor of great size crashed into one of the poles, uh, triggering a massive melt of untold trillions of tons of ice into the oceans, quickly creating floods throughout the world on all the coastal regions. Uh, the second one is a huge um, coronal mass ejection that hit the planet and essentially melted huge amounts of ice, both poles, all at once, creating, again, massive floods. Both of these would have fit the bill. Uh, we know that these things can happen. If that same thing had happened, that happened then, were to happen now, do the math. Human civilization would be essentially wiped out and we'd be starting over again uh, from almost from scratch. I have a feeling that extraterrestrials would not like that, that this is something that they would consider to be no longer appropriate. Uh, where we were 12,000 years ago, it wasn't that big a deal. We're, we're, we're a space-faring civilization now. And so this is very interesting to me. Um, for instance, and there's a, there is one huge question, if a massive meteor uh, of the, the size of Mount Everest were to turn up heading toward our planet. At this point, we couldn't stop it. And that would be it. But they could. Would they? It'd be kind of nice to know. So when you look at the nuclear weapons tampering, when you look at their activity around volcanoes, these are the kinds of things that fly through my head as an activist and, I don't know, crazy person uh, that I'm looking to know more about. Look, I've really enjoyed doing the show. I know we have yeah. to go. That My is, website uh, is paradigmresearchgroup.org. Uh, please follow Paradigm Research Group on Twitter and Facebook. And on my website, you can subscribe to free updates that I send out. Yes, uh, anything you'd like to um, talk about before you leave, Darcy, uh, websites, social yeah, media, anything like that? Sure. Website for my films. If people want to check out other films I've done, just www.occultjourneys.com. And, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram by the same name. Follow me, reach out. Happy to chat about this, uh, all these interesting topics that we covered today. Definitely. Gentlemen, thank you for taking the time and have an excellent evening. You too, too Chris. Chris. Hello, friends. Have you noticed how much podcasts have grown in popularity over the past few years? We definitely have, and it's insane. We have an opportunity for your business to take advantage of the exponential growth of our podcast by advertising with us. We've been riding the podcast growth wave for a few years now, and we want you to take advantage of this too. We have unbeatable pricing and advertising packages, and we work with you on an individual basis to produce the most effective ad possible for our audience. If you would like to advertise with Forbidden Knowledge News, Email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We look forward to all our new partnerships.